This morning we're going to look at 1 Peter 2.24 again. There's at least one more sermon out of this one verse as well, so I won't be done with it this time either. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So, in 11th grade English, somewhere between writing a research paper and reading Macbeth, you all probably remember that, at least vaguely. Uh, My class, uh, we went through a unit on poetry, which, you know, is not really all that unique, except there were two events uh, that kind of conspired at that time. The first was that, as part of our poetry unit, we were learning how to interpret the meaning of poems, and our teacher wanted to show us that poetry isn't just some flowery metaphor language from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So, for one assignment, he had us choose a piece of music, play it for the class, and lead a little discussion. Uh, on its meaning. Now, I really don't remember any of the music that anyone else picked, except one of the guys picked that song that just goes, Sail! And that's, you know, it's like, I think that's all the words in the song. I'm pretty sure History Channel used it for a promo for the Vikings show. Um, you know, not that noteworthy. I don't know if he got a great grade on that. Um, Not really noteworthy, except that what also occurred around that time is God came and got me. He came and got me, or to use Jesus' words, this is when I was born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So at this time, the Holy Spirit, he went wherever he willed, and he willed to come into me. And I heard the sound of call that made me desire to know and love Jesus. So having been a Christian for all of like 10 minutes, um, born again, and faced with the opportunity to play a song for my classmates and discuss it afterward, my only question was, which song will get them to hear the gospel? And God often gives new believers an extra helping of boldness. So, like any good teenager, when given the opportunity to play a song for his friends, I chose a hymn from 1804. by Irish churchman Thomas Kelly. It's not really well known. It's not in a whole lot of hymnals, in fact. Um, But some of you may have heard it. The, The first line is also its title, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. And I checked, and I don't believe we've ever uh, used it during our, any of our services here. 
Uh, it's handy being able to just kind of do a quick search of the of the database. But the hymn begins with, as you can kind of guess, a near direct quote from Isaiah 53, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. And I won't quote the whole thing, but as you can see up on the screen, the first two lines, stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. And I remember that one of my classmates asked the question, why does it say tree? Why doesn't it say cross? And I knew enough to quote from this passage in 1 Peter, especially the first part, he bore our sins in his body on the tree, but I didn't really know why Peter called it that. I just said, well, he's quoting from here. That's, that's why he decided to do that. Now, that wasn't a really great explanation. Um, it only kind of went one step further, just pushed the explanation back. So today, I want to endeavor to look at this verse, and especially what it means. Why did, why did Peter say, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree? I want to endeavor to answer my classmate's question better than I did about a decade ago. And you can do the math and decide if I'm young or old on that. But So why does Peter call Jesus' cross the tree? I mean, we're all familiar with the passion of Jesus, as recorded in the four Gospels. You have the Last Supper. You have the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. You have the betrayal by Judas. You have the trial, which really was just kind of a mock trial. Jesus being shuffled around between the high priest Caiaphas and King Herod and Pontius Pilate. You have the soldiers beating him, mocking him. You have the crucifixion and the death, the burial, the resurrection and the ascension. So you would think that in all of that, at least one of the four Gospels, if if Peter is saying tree, you would think that at least one of the four Gospels would have this same phrase, or at least give us a hint as to why Peter says that. But in all of them, the cross is called just that. It's called a cross. In the four, in the Gospels, Jesus' death is very specifically a crucifixion on a cross. Just one look here at him carrying the cross. In Matthew, as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his, Jesus' cross. In Mark, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Luke, and as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And John, 
And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. So if you do a search, which is really handy now that you can, again, kind of just Google or use your Bible app, or if you want to go old school, use a concordance, and look for the word tree in the Gospels, you will find it there, but never in reference to the cross. You may find it where Jesus says something about a tree and its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. You'll know it, the tree by its fruit. Or maybe it's part of the setting where someone is sitting underneath the shade of a tree. Or if you are a wee little man like Zacchaeus and a wee little man was he, you might climb the tree to get and see what you could see. See, see. I think that's how the song goes, if I remember right. Now, if you did just do that search, uh, you would see that right after the Gospels, the book of Acts does, in fact, refer to Jesus' death as happening on a tree. And it's by none other than our author today, Peter, who first says that. You know, in response to he's, he and the other apostles are, you know, this is just after Pentecost and, well, a few chapters after Pentecost. And they're doing miracles and they're proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so the Sanhedrin locks them up in prison and says, stop doing that. And God opens the doors of the prison and they walk out of the prison and start proclaiming the name of Jesus. And the Sanhedrin says, we told you to stop doing that. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. And it's not a one-off. Peter says it again when he's preaching the gospel For the very first time, in fact, to the Gentile Cornelius, Peter doesn't say that Jesus was crucified or that he died on a cross. For the very first time, Cornelius, the Gentile, heard the gospel. Peter said, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. And then, the final time this appears in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul also uses the language of a tree. He's preaching the gospel again for the first time to the Jews that are in Antioch. He says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And, though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree 
and laid him in a tomb. So they had Pilate execute him, but how, how was it that he, he died? What does it sound like? Well, he died on a tree. What do you mean? The Romans execute people by putting them on crosses, not, not on trees. So what's going on here? Why call the cross a tree? You know, are we back in 11th grade English trying to figure out why Peter and Paul are using some kind of flowery metaphor? You know, is it that they're saying, oh, the cross is made of wood and trees are wood, and if we call it a tree, it sounds better than calling it an execution chamber. But even though the cross is made of wood, that's hardly what makes it a tree. You know, if it's just the thing that it's made out of, then this pulpit is a tree, right? But now just wait just a moment, because Paul says that the rulers and those who live in Jerusalem did not recognize Jesus and did not understand the utterances of the prophets. So let's not commit the same error that they did. Let's look at the utterances of the prophets, which Paul says were written about Jesus. I mean, we've got two-thirds of a Bible before Matthew even starts writing, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, 14, 14, 14 times. I think that's the order. I didn't write it down, so that was just off the top of my head. So hopefully I got that right. So we might as well, if we're going back, we might as well go all the way back. Back into Genesis. Right away in Genesis, we've got a couple of really important trees. Right in the middle of the Garden of Eden. There's a tree of life. And there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now I want you to remember this, because we're going to come back to it. I know, some of you are flipping to Genesis, and now I'm going to tell you to go to Deuteronomy. But we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Because there's, in the law, kind of a really obscure law, in fact. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, it says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your lands that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now that's a pretty specific law, right? You know, there's, there's a lot of things that have to happen before, before this law applies. If, first of all, a man commits a crime that deserves death, that's the first one. And then two, secondly, you actually do put him to death. Okay, yes, all right, we're following through here. And then if that death is death by hanging on a tree, okay, all right, that's sure. I guess there's a few options you have. Then... Don't leave his body up there all day and night. Make sure you bury him. 
Now that seems kind of straightforward, if not a little gruesome, to think about that there's such a specific rule going on here for that. But you know, don't don't leave a body hanging up from the branches. Now it hardly seems like you would need um, to be told that, but in fact, the reasoning behind the law isn't that it's gruesome or ghastly. The reasoning behind the law is just what Moses says: a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So what God is saying is somehow. When a man is hanged on a tree, you all ought to recognize that that man is cursed by God. And if you leave him up there, that curse that's upon him is going to be upon the whole land. So instead, bury him and the curse will be buried with him. Well, now what does this have to do with the cross? You know, does Peter, does Paul really mean to say that Jesus Christ was cursed by God? And we know that because he was hung on a tree. Now, I'm sure that some of you are ahead of me, and you know where I'm going to be going. So turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Or Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy here, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So why does Peter call it a tree here? Well, what does he say? He says, he himself bore our sins. How in the world do you bear someone's sins? How do you carry someone's sins? Sins are not something that have weight, not physical weight. You can't put them in a bag and carry them, unless you're in John Bunyan's book. You can't can't pass them from one person to the other. Well. You don't even really see sin. You only see its consequence. And it's one of the consequences, the main consequence of sin, that Jesus bears in his body on the tree. So what is the consequence of sin? Okay, so I said we return to Genesis. We'd return to the Garden of Eden. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So this is pretty great. We're in a beautiful garden paradise. Don't really have to work. Don't really have to worry about anything. There's one rule. Immediately, we break the rule. So, after we eat, 
from the tree that God specifically told us not to eat from, what happens? What does God say? Well, the very first thing God does is he comes to us and he says, where are you? Because we're hiding from him, because we're ashamed, because we recognize that we've done something. We've sinned. But after seeking us out and finding us, God, who is good, administers justice. Justice for sin. And it's a merciful justice. First, he curses the serpent that deceived us, and then he puts a curse upon us as well. There's pain in childbearing. There's pain in marriage. There's pain in growing food to survive. And finally, there is death, which is signified by the fact that he sends us out of the garden, away from the tree of life, so that we can no longer eat from that tree. So, we couldn't eat from one tree that God completely said, you have complete access to the tree of life now, at the beginning. Just don't eat from this other tree. We decided, you know what, this tree of life might be good, but this other one that God said, don't do that. That's the one we really want to eat from. So we go to that one. We're tempted by Satan. We are deceived and willfully sin. Take from that tree, and because of that, this tree of life, is now lost to us. Instead of obedience, which would have led to life, we chose disobedience, which led to death. So, instead of blessing, we received a curse. Because that is what sin receives. Sin, disobedience, Faithlessness to God leads to a curse. So we were condemned to death because of our disobedience. But God in his mercy and grace chose to bring about redemption from this curse. Right? He chose one man, Abraham, to make a nation for himself. And he gave his laws to that nation. And one of those laws among all the other ones that seem weird to us today, there's a lot of them that seem like, why would this one even be a law? One of those laws was anyone hanged on a tree is accursed. So that when he himself would come down in order to deal with the curse, and he would be hung upon a cross, we would be able to look at that and think, oh wait, he's written about this somewhere. He's told us about this somewhere. That's right, in Deuteronomy, if someone's hung on a tree, he's cursed by God. Well, how, how can this be? This is Jesus. He doesn't deserve to be cursed by God. But, but he is. How, how does that work? Well, he's cursed by God, right? Because he was holding on to our sin. All our sin. 
We've got the sins that we committed this morning, whether it be envy or jealousy, impatience, anger. And we've got this sin that goes all the way back to eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And because we sinned by eating this tree, we were cursed and lost our access to the other one, right? But now Jesus, being cursed on a tree, dying on a tree, has now for us opened the way back up to the tree of life. The tree of life doesn't really show up in the rest of the scriptures until you get to the book of Revelation. It kind of disappears in Genesis chapter 3 until you get to the book of Revelation. Where it says, Then the angels showed me. This is, this is the apostle John being shown heaven and earth, the new heaven and the new earth the new creation when Christ returns and makes everything perfect. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, there it is, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The tree of life is there for all the nations. People out of all of Adam's descendants. And he says, no longer will there be anything accursed. Not only are we given back the tree of life, but in fact, curse is removed entirely. There's this, another stanza from the hymn that I quoted at the beginning that, I, that really helps describe what's going on. It goes, Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Many hands were raised to wound him. The hands of the priests who falsely accused him and the hands of Herod and the soldiers who mocked and beat him and the people who raised their fist as they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, as he washed his hands, trying to throw away any responsibility he had, but he delivered him over to be crucified. And whosever hands it were that actually pierced his hands and feet and side. So those many hands were raised to wound him. 
but the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means it's referring to the fact that sin, injustice, let me rephrase that, that sin, justice demands that sin be punished. The problem we have is that God is good. The problem we have is that God is good. Because God is good, sin must be punished. And so, how does he do it? Well, mercifully, what he has done for the people he has chosen to be his own, he has poured out that wrath, that justice, on Jesus Christ. And we can see that because Jesus Christ was a man deserving of nothing but blessing. And he received on the cross nothing but curse. See, we're the ones who should have been accused and rightly accused for our sins. We're the ones, Proverbs says, a rod for the back of fools. We're the ones that deserve the rod on our back, not Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans says the wages of sin is death. We're the ones that deserve death. And the judge, not Pontius Pilate, but God himself, could have looked at us in our sins and fully said, condemned. But instead, God satisfied his justice and his mercy on that tree where Christ bore our sin because he bore God's wrath against our sins so that he could be both just in punishing sin and merciful to forgive sinners. And that's why Peter says on the tree, to point us to the fact that this man this more than man, the God-man, who deserved no curse, was cursed for us. As Paul says, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The call to every one of us is to believe in him for the forgiveness of sins. The one who was lifted up, hung on a tree, cursed for us. And it is true today as it was when it was spoken 
nearly 2,000 years ago, all who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus Christ, we pray to you now. Thanksgiving. Because it is in your name that forgiveness of sins has been given to us. And because when you return to your Father, you sent your Holy Spirit to move wherever he willed, that we would hear and be made alive with belief in your name for the forgiveness of sins. So Lord, we who are here who believe pray that all who are here would be made alive, made alive by belief in your name for the forgiveness of their sins, all their sins, every single one. We pray, O Father, that you would bring about the full number of the people that you have for your Son, that you would redeem them all in your gracious will. We pray this in the name of your Son, whom you gave and made a curse for our sake and raised for our justification and glorified by seating him at your right hand. And it is there that we direct our praise. His name. Amen.